left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. All the time, you're incurring liability that could blow up and have somebody coming after everything that you've worked so hard to build. So what you have to do is, is make sure you don't own anything and make sure that entity that owns the stuff is set up in such a way that if anything happens, it loses little to nothing. Since you are here listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you're investing with a group of people. Whether you're investing with family or friends or like-minded people in the left field investors community, group investing is a strategy that can get you into more deals, help you diversify, and go beyond what you can achieve by yourself. Before TribeVest came along, it was difficult to overcome all the hurdles associated with group investing. It was basically a strategy reserved for the wealthy, not anymore. Now, TribeVest helps your group with everything from incorporation, collaboration, banking, and equity management tools all in a single place. So you can focus on building wealth with the people you know, like, and trust. I'm using TribeVest for all five, now six, of my investor tribes. It's a game changer. Check them out at TribeVest.com. You are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast, powered by TribeVest. The mission of Left Field Investors is to build a community of like-minded individuals interested in creating financial freedom through passively investing in real assets that generate real cash flow. In this podcast, Jim Piper will interview passive investors, syndicators, and others who will share their journey with a focus on helping the passive real estate investor learn and become part of the Left Field community. This is MC Lobsher from Cashflow Ninja, and you're listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. I'm very pleased today to have Scott Smith with us. He is the founder of Royal Legal Solutions, a boutique law firm focused on protecting clients' real estate assets throughout the United States and Canada. He is also host of the Real Estate Nerds podcast. So Scott, welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Hey, Jim, great to be here with you today, man. I'm ready to share all the secrets that we know about what makes real estate investors successful over time. We've actually been able to help over 2,000 clients in all 50 states and all real estate investors. So one of the great things that I love to do is be able to say, like, listen, we've seen so many people. We just know that this is the lockstep way that you have to move through the process. I can't wait to dive in with you here today, Jim. Fantastic. Well, we really appreciate you being here. And the way we start out is I'd like to hear your journey. You know, I understand your attorney, but how did you get into real estate? How did you get to where you are now that you've been able to help all these investors? Yeah, I actually started when I was in law school. I ended up being able to buy my first commercial property and end up rehabbing the property and rehabbing the transmission auto repair business. And then when me and my partner ended up flipping that business in the building to graduate from law school without any debt. And I kept investing in real estate even as I was working as a litigator, suing insurance companies. Come to find out that insurance companies are great at collecting premiums and even better at denying coverage. Happens to be their business model. I spent a couple of years suing them and I was investing in real estate the whole time until I was making more money doing real estate than I was being an attorney. So I just ditched the attorney work. I went full bore into real estate, hit my financial freedom numbers to get my passive income to equal my expenses. And then I was set. So I was just kind of like hanging out, doing deals, going to meetup groups. People are asking me, hey, can you help me set up what you set up for yourself in terms of uh, how do you hold the assets anonymously? How do you compartmentalize them? 
How do you do all the bookkeeping and accounting? How do you strategize for all of your taxes and your estate planning and your insurance and diversifying your portfolio out of real estate? Like the whole gamut. And so that's why I realized I was like, hey, listen, you know, there's there's probably more people in the world that probably need to learn about this stuff. So I'll just go on bigger pockets. I'll just share what I know on bigger pockets just about asset protection in bigger pockets episode 109. And what ended up happening was I ended up uh, just dropping my email and phone number because I was like, well, maybe a couple of people will call that will need help. And heck, you know, maybe it's my good deed to go do it. What actually ended up having those, I ended up starting to get about 30 phone calls a day. So I didn't do anything for two years besides just answer phone calls and try to help people around the country while I, I resisted wanting to start a law firm to be able to help people to do it. And, and now once I got going on, I realized that, hey, this is actually my calling, my passion in life is to be able to help people get to financial freedom, to let them be able to focus on deals and let me and my professional team that I built for myself then leverage to how can they help all of these other people. And that's what we've grown into. So now we're a team of about five attorneys, 40 staff members, and we have a very slow controlled growth model, which is the only way that we've been able to find to be able to have consistent client experience over time. And that's what we're doing is we're just being able to help everybody that's starting off from the $50,000 net worth over the, all the way up to the $25 million net worth. And every single type of asset class, real estate deal you can think of is our bread and butter as well as active businesses. That's fantastic. We're going to obviously dig into all of the legal stuff, but I'd like to first ask, you said you became financially free essentially just through your real estate. So can you talk a little bit about what kind of passive investments you were doing or was it you're investing in businesses, you're investing in real estate syndications. Can you just talk a little bit about what you were investing in that got you to where you were uh, making more money passively than at your law practice? And, you know, I got my handful of single family homes. I maxed out my first 10, as like most people do, right? And then you start looking into the commercial and apartment complexes. And I started dabbling in those. And pretty soon what happened though, is I started to realize, I was like, well, holy smokes, man, I either have to grow a company and staff to just manage all of my investments and VAs and systems and processes with that. And I was like, man, I don't really want to grow a company. That actually sounds like a lot of work now. And then I got to manage that staff or whatever. And so that's when I started pushing into syndications and saying like, okay, great. What is the right way to do the syndication model? Because those were truly passive, right? I didn't have to scale staff to be able to do that. Uh, so that's what it ended up being is a, is a combination of doing those. And I got my expenses to be under six figures, which was my goal. So I was like, great. If I get my expenses to be under six figures and I have these investments from my syndications, my apartments, and my single family homes, then I'll, I'll get there. I'll be able to hit my monthly nut number. And that's all it took. What it took was as pushing down expenses and just taking all the extra income I had and jamming it into what was going to cash flow for me. I'm being able to just ride it out on ups and downs in the market, you know. But I was like, nah, what really matters to me is cash flow. I think that's great. You know, having someone who's an attorney, but also has done the path, right? You've done the syndications, you've reached financial freedom. And I look for that in my advisors. If I, if I can find an accountant who's done that, an attorney, I think that's a huge advantage. So before we really dive in, I want to ask you a question. When you invest in a new syndication, do you read every page of the PPM? No, I don't do that. I'll have another like staff attorney. Now I'll have like another staff attorney, you know, scan it to say like, hey, great, is there anything here that pops out at you? Most PPMs are pretty boilerplate as they come through. And then what I do is I have tools, which now become the Royal Legal Solutions tools with what I do to vet deals between how do I vet the financials and what kind of spreadsheets and tools do we have for that? And also my checklist of like, okay, here's the really important information that I want to know. But even more importantly than that, than the PPM, in my opinion, is who's the operator? 
How well do you know them? And my rule is I won't invest in a deal with somebody that's over $50,000 unless I've spent at least three consecutive hours with them without a break. Because with three consecutive hours with them without a break, I get to see what's really going on with that person. And I get a feel of like, who are they? Because in my line of work, I've seen it where you can have great deals on paper, but crap operators, they go to crap. You can have great deals on paper and great operators, they'll still go to crap. But you usually don't get screwed if you have a great operator. Something can still go wrong, but you don't get screwed on the deal. And that's typically my doubt. Most everything will pencil. Most of all the paperwork will be the same. It's usually always the relationship. Is that the right person and the right relationship? And so that's actually my key criteria is how well can I feel out who that person is? Yeah, I love that. I mean, we have our ways and you know, things we've talked about left field investors, but the sponsor is the most important part. And you know, I've now gotten to the point where when I first was looking for sponsors, it was Google, listen to podcasts and all that stuff. And now I really don't invest with a new sponsor unless they're referred to me by somebody that I know, like, and trust who's already invested with them. And then that's my starting point. And then I do my normal sponsor vetting. But I love how you said you spend three hours with them without a break. That's a great way to do it. So investing in, in syndications, I'd like to talk about that. What are the things from the legal side that we need to look at? For instance, can you invest in your personal name or should you use an LLC? Can you invest with the trust? Let's start there and just talk about some of the things that we need to look at from a legal position. And then I definitely want to dive into how do we protect our assets as well. So first thing to understand is, is the worst way you can possibly hold assets is in your personal name. I see it all the time. People own assets in their personal name, including syndication investments. And they say, I think I'm fine. It's really low risk. I have an umbrella insurance policy. And so I think I'm good. The reality is, is that insurance protects you against most things most of the time, but it's not bulletproof protection. It's not being there 100% all the way. The reason why is take an example of like a friend of mine who lost over $3 million from a single lawsuit and he's very well insured. So he lost a ton of his syndication investments and his real estate investments because of that. What happened was he was in a separate deal he was doing that he was in that deal inside of his personal name. He signed for that deal and then there was something went wrong with the deal and he needed to pull out. And what happened was when he pulled out of that deal, they turned around and sued him for fraud and breach of contract, which insurance never protects you from. So he thought he had all this great insurance, but the claims that they made were intentionally made such that they could go after him personally and attack his assets. And because he had all the assets in his personal name, they were able to seize those assets through that lawsuit. And all he had to do was have at the bare minimum, is it one LLC? Just to take the bare minimum step of what rich people do. Rich people don't own stuff. They don't own anything. You can sue rich people all day long, you'll never get anything. Their asset holding company or their LLC or some derivation thereof of the various kinds of different asset holding companies and asset protection type companies you can have owns everything. And the reason why is because you personally are incurring liability all the time. Phone calls you're making, text messages you're sending, emails you're sending from your personal email account, contracts you're signing, you're driving your car, all the time you're incurring liability that could blow up and have somebody coming after everything that you've worked so hard to build. So what you have to do is, is make sure you don't own anything and make sure that entity that owns the stuff is set up in such a way that if anything happens, it loses little to nothing. So you can't screw it up and it have an impact your assets and the assets themselves can't blow up and have it impact the rest of your assets. Okay. So this is where I kind of get stuck sometimes because I know I do invest through an LLC and I have several LLCs because I had some active investments. Now I have mostly passive. So I have multiple LLCs. I have a living trust. I have assets in different places. How do I restructure and do everything so it's optimized to protect me, but it isn't 
overwhelming to set up, right? Because all of this gets super complicated. And I know there's, I think you have to find a balance of how complicated do I want to make my situation balanced with how much protection I get or need. And so what's the balance there? Well, I think balance was actually the old way. So before what you would talk about and the underneath the old technology, there's still, there's a lot of people using the old technology, but underneath the old technology, what you do is you have one parent LLC that owns a bunch of subsidiary LLCs. And you have one asset in each LLC. And then that way, if anything blows up with one of the assets, it can't hit any of the other assets because they're all compartmentalized in individual LLCs. And then all of the income goes through the parent company through a single EIN number there. So it streamlines your tax returns. That way your tax returns are exactly the same as if you just had one LLC that owned everything. And you say, great, I streamlined my tax returns. But the problem is exactly what you said, which is I now have all these bank accounts and LLCs I have to upkeep every year. And I have all these different sets of accounting books that I have to keep track of. And now the what we would call an operating expense becomes way too high. It's too burdensome for me to manage. And then I have to hire somebody to manage and I have to watch them uh, to be able to do all that. So uh, I won't do anything. So what happens to most people that are thinking in that old way is they say, I'll just get a single LLC and just dump everything into it and hope nothing happens. That's using hope. Hope doesn't make money. Hope doesn't create wealth. Hope always bites you into it. Luckily, we live in a world where you're actually being able to have your cake and eat it too by the use of using a series LLC or a Delaware statutory trust. Delaware statutory trusts are used for California investors because you can avoid uh, the $800 a year yearly franchise tax. Everybody else in the country can use a series LLC. What a series LLC allows you to do is create the exact same legal structure. One parent entity has all of these underlings, which we call child series, that act just like LLCs, but they're free to create. They cost nothing to maintain, and they don't have to have their individual bank accounts or sets of books. You can operate with one set of books out of a single bank account, and you just tag the income and expense for each of the investments you're making, which you should be doing anyway to be able to know what your ROI is for each investment. So in that way, using the series LLC structure, you can have the absolute best protection. You can have anonymity and the ownership of all of your physical assets, as well as any syndication investments you're doing. Everything goes through one set of accounting books, one bank account, one tax return, and you only have, have to pay to maintain one entity, which is the parent entity. And the reason the legislatures created this is because they wanted people to have these extra protections, but without all of the costs of them. They did it to be able to help us as business owners and as investors. And they knew that all they had to do is get series LLCs into a couple of states like Delaware, Texas, Nevada, and Wyoming, which have strong charging order protection, and that we can use that series LLC anywhere in the country due to the full faith and credit clause of the U.S. Constitution. Just like people use a Delaware LLC formed in Delaware and use it anywhere else in the United States, we can form that series LLC in one of those four states that has strong charging order protections and use them anywhere as well. Can you explain what a charging order is? Just so we're all on the same page. Yeah, charging order protection says, if I sue you, Jim, can I get to your ownership interest in your LLC? So states that don't have charging order protection, like California, Florida, are great examples of that. It means that if I sue Jim, I can take his ownership interest inside of his LLC. So essentially, that doesn't help you at all from asset protection because Jim wrecked his car and now all of a sudden they're going to take his asset holding company. Now, Jim would still be protected if something happened with one of his assets, like grandma tripped and fell down the stairs and she tried to sue Jim. They say, no, 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 you can't do that because that asset's owned by the LLC. So at most you can sue that LLC. So why you need charging order protection is that way they can't sue you and get to your company 
but your company will always protect you from a lawsuit involving the company. Okay. Back to the series LLC then. Help me understand how this is different from a regular LLC, meaning right now my LLCs are all passed through. Well, most of them are passed through entities, right? So I just file a tax return and I don't file a tax return for the LLC because it's a single member LLC or my wife and I own it. So is that with a series LLC, do I have to file a separate tax return just for that LLC and then it issues a K-1 to me personally or how does that work? It works exactly the same as if you had just a single LLC. So it's still going to be a disregard entity. It's still going to be a pass-through tax treatment for tax structure. Nothing actually changes in your life, Jim, besides that you end up with all this extra protection that doesn't cost you anything to scale into. It doesn't cost you anything to maintain. And there's nothing extra that you have to do with it. That's the big advantage of it. And notably, is the exact same protection as if you would have spent a bunch more money and formed a bunch of LLCs. So it really is exactly the same as if you would have formed this as a hub and spoke model with tons of LLCs, except that it's much more efficient and streamlined and easier to operate. Now, you mentioned disregarded entity. Can you explain that? And can you explain, because a lot of times when you do the subscription documents for syndication, they ask you if you're investing in an entity, is this a disregarded entity? Can you tell us what that means? How do we know? And how important is that on that form? Yeah. So discard entity has to do everything with the tax treatment of the entity. So discard entities don't have to file their own tax returns in most all circumstances, especially the ones that we set up. We don't want you to file extra tax returns because extra tax returns means it's costing you money. The less money you have, the less money you're able to invest. And our goal is to see how many people we can get to financial freedom. That's our key level KPI as a company. When you're filling out that form, you can fill it out as a discarded entity that's going to own the asset. That syndication investment will pay your asset holding company, your asset holding company that holds the money inside of like its vault inside of its own bank account. And that way that money is always protected. And whenever you want that money, what you're able to do then is just take an owner's draw or take a distribution from the LLC. You record inside of your accounting books that I take out X amount of dollars. And then great. Now that's a personal distribution to you and that you just end up paying taxes as if you didn't have an entity at all. That's what disregarded means. So we're going to look at it for tax purposes as if you don't have an entity, but it still provides all of the protections. It just doesn't have a taxable event. So I'd like to now talk about the child LLC. So if I have this series LLC and I have the main one and I want to separate off some liabilities, is that when I create the child LLC? How do I do that? Why do I do it? When do I do it? How does that protect me? Let's say a lot of people that come to us, right, have some structure put in place or have a bunch of assets in their personal name, or they put together a structure, but they realize that it's overly complex for what it is they really need. And they say, well, can I still do what it is you're talking about, Scott? So yeah, absolutely. Right. Cleaning these things up is no big deal. There's no tax consequences for doing it. Of course, it just costs some time and money. Usually within six weeks, we're able to take somebody from where they're at now to wherever the endpoint is going to be that we decide on as like the appropriate scope together, like with the client. The move to make is, as you form one parent series LLC, then it's going to create the individual child series. So you'll say child series A is going to be my personal residence. Child series B is going to be that apartment complex. Child series C is a single family home I bought. Child series D is the syndication investment that I made. Child series E, that's another syndication investment that I made. And so that way, each individual asset that has individual liability associated with it is compartmentalized inside of its own child series. So for any assets that you currently have, we just move those assets from their current name into the name of the child series. For any other assets you acquire in the future, we just spin up a new child series document, which takes about five minutes to create. 
then there's no filing fees or any filing that you have to do with it. You can create it on your very own desktop and it acts just like an LLC. So you would just create that child series document and then go make the investment in the name of the child series. And that's all it takes to be able to compartmentalize that asset. Hey, Left Fielders, this is Julian McClurkin from Tribe Vest. I recently had the pleasure of sitting down with Jim Pfeiffer for a masterclass. I learned so much from passive investing to real estate syndications to how you can diversify your portfolio with a tribe. I also learned how this form of passive investing was only available to the wealthy until recently. If I learned a lot, you will too. Go to leftfieldinvestors.com and check out the masterclass button at the top or look up Tribe Vest on YouTube. I'll see you there. Now, I'm in 50 plus syndications. So would I do 50 plus child LLCs, number one? And number two, if I'm going to this new model from the old model where I had them all owned by one LLC, do I need to do all these ownership changes? That seems very laborious. And, and I know that there's a balance. I know you said that we don't do the balance anymore, but between how laborious is this and how much do I need it, right? And how much is it going to cost me? So can you talk? I know that was like four questions, but can you talk about some of that? Yeah, sure. So the way it works is that with like the templates of the child series, and in your case, like if it's moving a syndication investment, those are done by what's something that's called an assignment of interest. You're assigning your interest from your personal name, Jim, or from this other LLC into the child series of the series LLC. Just like a deed moves a piece of real estate and ownership of the real estate, an assignment of interest does the same thing with the syndication interest. So in this case, what it would be is, is for each syndication investment that Jim wants to compartmentalize, what he would need to do is spend about 10 minutes to draft a new child series document and about 10 minutes to be able to draft the new assignment of interest because these are templates to be able to put together. So you're about 20 minutes in for each assignment of interest that you're going to, for each syndication investment, you're going to compartmentalize. Now, if you have a virtual assistant or anybody else around you, these are super simple things to do. You're talking about like very formulaic fields to just put in. So the actual cost to get it done for somebody to do it is not that high. For Jim to do it or for my legal team to do it, of course, that's where we come into those things being expensive. So one of the things that we like to do is to be able to equip all of our investors with the templates so they can self-manage or they can diversify out to their team. They can delegate it out to their VA team. I had one of the, one of my investors like use their 14-year-old kid. I was like, hey, eight bucks an hour, you go in there, you start drafting documents. And it was like, it didn't take it that long to be able to get through all the documents. And I think it cost him like a hundred bucks to be able to get his kid to do all of it. Once he got the hang of it, it wasn't taking him 20 minutes. It was taking him six because it's just hidden through the forms, right? There's ways to leverage the, the oh my God, that's going to be a lot to, no, 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 it's actually not that bad. It's very, very simple and streamlined. And that's one of the reasons why I think we've been so successful is because what we do is a holistic approach, but we're always looking for how to make things the most efficient way possible, which means the less cost while sitting at all of the objectives met, because that's what we believe is how we're able to reach the maximum number of people. Because remember, our top KPI is how many people did we help get to financial freedom? How much further along are they? So we know that the efficiencies, whereas we'd say, well, that's not great profitability for the law firm, we'd say, yeah, but our actually goal is total number of clients helped. And the fundamentals of the law firm just have to make sense so that way everybody can still have jobs. When I do this, all of these investments are registered with the syndicator under the original LLC name. So do I need to contact them and say, change the name? Or is that assignment that we do, is that enough? 
So for legal purposes around the liability itself, the assignment's actually enough to be able to do it. So if you want the syndicator to change their name as they have it listed in their documentation, you can do that. All that does, it says who has the rights to sue the syndicator if something goes wrong. So if your syndicator doesn't acknowledge your assignment of interest, then it's saying, well, your child series can't sue for it, right? Can't sue us as a syndicator, but you personally or whatever entity actually made the initial investment does have the right to sue, sue the syndicator. So you don't lose any of your legal standing to be able to enforce anything if something were to go wrong. And you don't have to get the approval from the syndicator or even tell them that you're going to do it. You can just do it. And most circumstances, most all the time, we're not having to go back out there and sue the syndicator out of the blue, right? And we're not having to worry too much about deals that are syndicated blowing back on the limited partners. However, I have defended cases where that's happened, where the general partner did something really stupid that usually involves some type of injury or some type of toxic type of chemical issue on the property of some sort or another. And in those circumstances, they'll pierce all the way to the limited partners. So some people are like, hey, I don't got to worry about all this compartmentalization stuff. And I don't got to worry about any of the asset protection stuff because I think it's such a low risk that what can happen in a syndication investment ever blows back on me. And to my point, it's, listen, if you got a $500,000 or a million dollars net worth, and let's say it's a 2% chance, that 2% chance means your entire net worth gets wiped out. If you even take it on the low end, what is the cost to ensure that can't happen as a one-time cost that you can use for the rest of your life? it becomes silly about like how affordable it really becomes if you think about it in that context of these are foundations for wealth, these are practices for wealth. I just need to follow the right systems that are tried and true, take risks that I can off the table when those expenses are affordable and not get caught up in this, like what's the absolute best penny pinch idea. That's not a way to wealth, man. That's tripping over pennies on your way to dollars. I agree with that. I I finally have figured out that to be successful the way I want to be successful, I'm actually going to have to pay professionals to do some of the stuff, right? I'm going to have to pay an accountant to do my accounting stuff. I'm going to have to pay a lawyer to do the lawyering stuff. And I can't do it all on my own. And you got to spend money on that. So I'm with you there. It took a while for me to get there because I was tripping over those dollars to pick up pennies or whatever that analogy was. You said, I like that. So in our community, we use a company called TribeVest to do group investing. And basically all that means is we're you know, we might have five people who come together and create an LLC, and then we go invest in some syndications. So when I'm a 20% owner of that LLC. Where does that go? Does a child adopt that? Can I put that under a child? I don't even know if I'm making sense now, but where do I put that LLC or any other LLCs that, I, that are co-owned? Right. Yeah. So what happens is, is that you have your personal asset holding company, right? That's your parent series LLC, all the individual child series, they own your personal assets. When you say, well, hey, Scott, I'm actually investing with some partners in a completely separate LLC to be able to buy this apartment complex or the syndication deal, whatever the case may be. Well, then all your partners, those other three people, let's say they're all listed. They, in an ideal world, what would happen is all three of your partners would list their personal asset holding companies and their child series of their personal asset holding companies as the designated member of that LLC. And so would you. All of you would have your own child series of your series LLCs partnering together in this new LLC. That is the partnership LLC. And that way, if anything blows up in that deal, then whoever's liable for it as a limited partners is just your individual child series of your series LLC, which didn't own anything else. 
so that it keeps the liability away from you and it keeps the liability away from any of the other assets uh, that are happening there, right? So sometimes that can happen from the situation we discussed. Sometimes it can happen from like a financing issue. I've seen them like try to come back at indirect of limited partners for financing in some circumstances uh, that we come to, but that's the way to do it is that you all have your individual asset holding companies. Those asset holding companies then invest in a completely separate LLC, which only owns that particular asset or that deal. Okay. Well, I have to be honest with you, Scott, I have some of those and I didn't do them that way. So what do I do now? Yeah. Well, the best thing to do is to just start cleaning it up. And if you want our help with cleaning it up, that's when you'd go to royallegalsolutions.com, click on the get a price in the top right-hand corner and fill out that quiz. It's about 20 questions long. It tells us the basic information we need about you to be able to have a productive conversation to know out of the 2000 investors that we work with, who are you most like? What did those people find to be most valuable in terms of content, videos, eBooks, and other materials we have on education front? And then that way we can provide those to you. So that way you can get educated to decide like, hey, is how does this investment make sense for me long-term? So that's all anybody has to do, whether it's you or anybody else, Jim, that wants to have access to all of the information that we've seen over and over again, be most powerful for people that are like you is to fill out that quiz. And we give it to you without all that information absolutely for free. We also have weekly coaching. We have three different coaching calls that happen every week on asset protection, estate planning, tax, and execution, how to actually get better at getting things done. And those are all monitored by my highest level personal staff. It's our head of the CPA, head attorney. I'm also running some of those shows. And so anybody that comes in, they're getting the content. They're getting into the group coaching to start talking directly to our highest level professionals. They're inside of our Discord channel, which is our community chat channel, where we're talking about everything that's happening in between group coaching calls to have additional access to information. And everybody can get access to that just from filling out the quiz. That's all they have to do. And then they're plugged into all of these systems and education, and we don't charge anything for that. That's fantastic. So we spent a lot of time talking about the series LLC, the children LLCs, but there's more to it, right? What about estate planning and trusts? Can you talk a little bit about how we put that in here? And is that something you guys handle as well? Yeah, we're a complete one-stop shop. We cover everything from the asset protection, which is your lawsuit protection, as well as the anonymity of the ownership of your assets. We cover off on all the estate planning needs that you'll have, including your living trust, your pour over will, your different types of powers of attorney, healthcare proxies, et cetera. We'll cover off on you with what is the appropriate tax support you need and help you benchmark to see, are you overpaying on taxes? And if we, from our analysis, it looks like you are overpaying on taxes, we talk to you about like what are avenues you can have to have professional support to get you in line with other investors that are similarly situated to you to know like what your targets should be for that and what ways they're lowering their taxes. We also have an insurance specific meeting to say, great, what is all the types of insurance that you need or don't need given how the rest of your portfolio is performing? Some people need umbrella insurance policies. Actually, some people don't. Some people need different levels of types of business risk insurance, depending upon what's happening with their active businesses. And the very last meeting that we bring everybody into is an investment meeting to look at their overall portfolio, be able to look at their assets to see how their assets are actually performing for them or not performing, which is usually the case. After we get a good look, it's like these assets aren't performing nearly as well as you think they are. And then we have discussions with our internal team with that client about how could they better diversify their portfolio and how can they get those returns and that cash flow that they're looking for with a better set of assets and a more diversified portfolio. I know I saw on the back of your bookshelf that Tony Robbins, the money book from Tony Robbins, right? I can recognize it by the color of the jacket because I've read all his stuff. And one of the 
principles that we adopted was, and this is especially important for real estate investors, so I just wanted to emphasize it, is that there's a four quadrants approach and that there's pools of assets that trend together and you can split them up into four quadrants. And Tony talks about this in his book. And real estate is in one of the four quadrants. So if all of your wealth is in real estate, that means you're actually not diversified, regardless of how safe you think real estate is. But there's other assets that you can buy in the other quadrants that will allow you to have the same types of returns with safe assets that you can cash flow off of once you know how to do it. The problem is, is that it's not widely talked about. And we teach about that every week with Ron Galloway inside of our Royal Investing Show. And it's something that we help people um, come to light with because inside of those four quadrants, the theory is, is during your lifetime, one of those quadrants will take a massive dive and you don't know which one it is. So you need to diversify inside of the different quadrants and we need to do it in a way that has low risk profiles on the underlying assets and cash flows for us because that's why we got into real estate. So learning how to get diversified in that realm is something that we think is absolutely essential for long-term wealth and also durable financial freedom. That we don't just hit it and then things, then we got to go back. It's like, no, once we hit it, we're never going back. Durable financial freedom. I love those three words together. That's great. Let me tell you this. I have a to-do list and it has a bunch of stuff on it. And the bottom thing is always figure out my LLCs, my estate problems and, and all that stuff because it's such a big job because as you just said, there's all these different pieces, all this stuff moving around. And on that to-do list, when I get down to the bottom, I always just transfer it to the next one because I can never <laughs> I can never get, you know, there's so much friction, the inertia. So my yeah. question is, how do you guys help with like, I feel like I listen to podcasts, I read books and I take a piece of everything. So I have a few LLCs here. I have an you know estate plan there and I have all this stuff and it's super complicated. So the thought of filling out a 20 question survey is great, but then I'm going to have to talk to someone and figure out how to put all this in place. And it just seems overwhelming. So can you talk me through a little how you help people through that? I don't know if that question makes sense or not, but this isn't something that actively makes you money. It's something that actively stresses me out in the background and I know I have to handle, but it get, keeps getting pushed away. So how do I just do it? Yeah. You can actually have all of this done, Jim, inside of the next three months. Everything. Everything that I just talked about, the series of meetings, knowing exactly what I need to execute, have it fully executed and everything moved inside of three months. And that's if you don't have anything done yet at all, right? And we're starting all the way from the bottom up. Most things can get accomplished within inside of just six weeks, four to six weeks, what do we do? And that's like part of the beauty of having such streamlined processes and being able to know exactly what people need for that type of person, that type of investor with that type of assets, that type of asset allocation. And I'll tell you the secret. The secret is two things. One, collect data about your client on the front end. From that data, you can actually be able to see these are the solutions that are actually going to be powerful for that client. Then two, we go into a meeting to discuss those solutions, explain how they work in a system and diagram it out because people need the pictures to understand how does it work. Then what we do then is decide on a scope and then we execute on that piece. And then we move to the next meeting. So our very first meeting is always asset protection and estate planning. We'll get through that meeting within an hour because we'll take the quiz. We'll give you some homework to read before you get into that meeting. And by the end of the meeting, you're going to know exactly what it is that I need to do and what the costs are for me to be able to execute on it. And then you'll be able to say, do I want to do that now or not? You'll make a decision on that and say, great. Okay, cool. Now let's go into our tax meeting. So our tax meeting, the same thing. 
quiz. We need to know what's basic, what, what are the basics of your financials, your top level financial KPIs of how they've been performing. Then now let's get into a meeting and talk to you about for where you're at, what is the type of tax support that's actually appropriate for you? And what does that cost? And what does that look like? Again, you'll have a very specified strategy and scope that we'll recommend for you in conjunction with what you're able to afford as well as where you're at with the whole process of getting that kind of support. And you'll be able to make a no-go decision on that. Great. Now we'll go ahead and get into the insurance meeting. So if you didn't do the asset protection, then say, great. Is there ways that we can help get you better protected just by doing insurance? Can the insurance protect you against the most risk most of the time? It's also the most affordable thing to do. Can we streamline all of your insurances in with us so that way you don't have the complexity of having to manage all these different policies with all these different providers and allows you to be able to unify into the one-stop shop that we are? By the end of that call, it's great. I know exactly what I'm doing with my insurance. And the same thing, go, no, go decision on that. And the very last thing that we do is the investment meeting. Let's look at your investments, see how well you're diversified, see what your true returns are from these investments. Can we identify opportunities that we have to support you on getting your investment intelligence and your investment strategy up to that next level to be better diversified and have a higher overall return on your portfolio? That process of the meetings, the data collection, the meetings typically can take us between two to three weeks. Execution is about six weeks. I tell people three months because it is dang sure after three months that we have everything done, no matter how complicated you are. That's what I like to do is bring everybody in, one-stop shop. We take care of everything on the background. So now you have one relationship that covers off on everything in your life. And the only thing that you have to worry about, Jim, is how do I make more money so I can plug it into the system that I've already co-created with a team of experts that are all in-house and all talk to each other and work with each other every day. That sounds great. It's something I probably probably need. So I don't live in Austin. I assume you can do all this through Zoom or, or online meetings? Yeah, we work with clients in all 50 states and every asset class. We've been doing it for over six years. And we have a big community of investors that if anybody wants to come and meet, we are doing weekly coaching three times a week, which is all of our investors with our staff there. And you can get the touch and feel for who we are, what we're like, what our values are, how do we operate without ever having to give us a dollar. Sounds good. Let me ask you this. You work with passive real estate investors a lot. So what do they get sued for? What are we protecting against? Well, different... Passive investors get sued for all different kinds of things, right? So like if you take like somebody who's like heavily into like apartments or single family homes, right? That's typically going to be tenant lawsuits or people getting injured on the property. Injuries on the property that are small, your insurance will always cover. When they're big injuries, the insurance will always say, nah, that's gross negligence. You should have known of the hazard that caused the injury somehow. And so we're not going to cover it. And you're left having to sue your own insurance policy. So your only fallback if that happens to you is to have an LLC that's compartmentalizing the asset because that limits your liability to just that asset. And anytime it's a big claim, I can tell you that's the first thing that insurance companies do because that's their business model. You deny big claims and then fight it out. Now, for everybody else that's in the syndication space, there's two different ways that they have to worry about liability. One is external liability, meaning I did something dumb or I got into a car accident or I signed a contract that I breached or I sent a message that somebody says I defrauded them and they're going to sue me and then try to get to my assets. Well, if I have all the syndication investments in my own name, that means a lawsuit against me, they actually get to take all my syndication investments. If I have them in LLC, they can sue me, but they can't get to the syndication investments that are there because they're all held inside an asset holding company. Another thing is if I have the assets in my personal name and they sue me, once that syndication investment sells and the capital gets returned to me, now all of a sudden they can take it. 
even though the investment's held inside of the syndication, that might not be absolutely protected because the moment the money hits, they have tickers on my bank accounts to be able to know when money hit the bank account and they immediately seize it because the court allows them to do that. That's part of you getting your money back from the judgment that you made. Now, there are also internal attacks, which is something went wrong with the syndication investment right itself, and they're going to go after the limited partners of it. And that's usually only in circumstances where something egregious happened. There's some type of allegation of fraud that happened. There's some type of medical or environmental hazard that was inside of the asset. But you're not actively managing any of those investments, right? So you really don't know anything that's going on besides what somebody else is representing to you on an asset you've never seen in a deal that you're not working on. So my question is, is no matter how much I trust that operator, do I trust them with my entire net worth? And if the answer to that is no, then it's great. Let's compartmentalize the asset because I just don't know. Yeah, I think that's interesting because mostly when we talk about this in the passive investing circles, people are thinking about that internal, like I can have it in my own name because the LLC I'm investing in the syndication, that's going to protect me from somebody at the apartment complex suing me. But what you're saying is the bigger exposure really is the external, me getting in a car accident, someone seeing, oh, I have these assets, I'm going to go take your syndications because they're in your name, right? Yeah, it's because they're in your name. And even if they can't seize the asset inside of the LLC yet, the moment that the money gets paid out to you or the return of capital happens, they instantly seize it. So if you have it inside an asset holding company, then the return of capital happens that it hits your asset holding company. It doesn't hit you, so they can't seize it. Okay, that's a lot. This has been fantastic. So the last question I, I usually ask is, what is a great podcast that you listen to we cannot count the Real Estate Nerds podcast. That's going to go in the show notes anyways. I know that's your podcast. Something other than that, can you tell us a podcast or two that you like to listen to? I've really been actually digging this stuff by like Huberman Labs. I don't know if you've checked out any of their work, but their first 10 episodes they have is all about biohacking and what happened to my life when I started listening to what they do and learning about like sleep and nutrition what kinds of stimulus am I taking in before I go to bed? And it's been a huge change for me in just like my day-to-day energy levels and my overall health. And what was amazing about listening to the Hooverman's Labs podcast is I only had to listen to the first eight episodes to be able to get huge results off of it. And each one of those episodes, I had to listen to three or four times because the level of information... It's like anybody listening to me right now talking about law, it's just like talking to hearing him talk about science as it relates to your health. And I'm like, whoa, this is so much information. I have to keep listening to it to really absorb it all. Oh, that's great. I'm definitely going to check that out. Thanks for that tip. So how can listeners get in touch with you if they want to uh, check out what you have to offer? Yeah, best thing to do is to go to Royal Legal Solutions com and to click on the get a price at the top of the page and just fill out that quiz. That's going to get you connected with the staff and the staff will get you connected with all the best content that's appropriate for you, get you plugged in to all the group coaching and be able to help assist you with just becoming part of that community of investors that we have there. And I got to tell you this, it's just an amazing community that we're building because they're all investors. They're usually very seasoned investors. There's a few new people always that are coming in. So it's a good mix, but majority of the people are already successful investors and entrepreneurs, right? So the level of discussion as it comes into what do I need to be doing with my investing? What do I need to be doing with my taxes? What do I need to be doing to be a more effective executor in my life? Those types of discussions are at my level of conversation where it's like, wow, I'm a moderately successful CEO and entrepreneur starting a company from the ground up to be a multi-million dollar annual revenue company with 40 employees and a nationwide network of customers 
And how do we do that? And how do you do that and live an amazing life at the same time? And how do you balance those things? Because balance is impossible. Okay, well, how do I prioritize and organize to be able to get to that? It's really this kind of cool community that's geared around how do you live an amazing life? And money is just a way that we understand a way to connect to each other that says, hey, that's a way we can keep score. As can I live an amazing life and make a bunch of money at the same time? That's great. You know, I'm a big believer in communities. I think left field investors, we have a great community but you don't have to be a member of just one community. The more communities you can involve yourself in, the more you're going to learn, the better investor you're going to be. And in this case, you know, the more protection you're going to have so you can protect the wealth that you're building. So this has been great. I really appreciate you being on the show. We'll definitely uh, follow you as, as we move forward. So thank you very much for being here. Uh, thanks, Jim. I look forward to seeing everybody at royallegalsolutions.com and get connect with everybody. Sounds great. We would like to introduce one of our trusted partners, Ashcroft Capital, to the left field investors community. At Ashcroft, they focus on capital preservation while still having upside potential through their value add funds. They are proud to announce their second fund. The Ashcroft Value Add Fund 2 is now open to investors. The Ashcroft Value Add Fund 2 has been created with one singular purpose in mind, to reduce risk to investors. The Ashcroft Value Add Fund 2 will continue to use the same conservative business plan Ashcroft was founded with, acquiring quality multifamily assets and offering value add opportunity in strong performing markets throughout the country. To learn more about Ashcroft Capital's investment criteria or about the markets and properties they are targeting, please download their latest AVAF2 Frequently Asked Questions Guide at ashcroftcapital.com slash left field. That's ashcroftcapital.com slash left field. That was a lot of information, a lot of really good information. So I was really happy to talk to Scott. And one of the things I like is finding professionals with real estate experience. That's why my accountant has real estate experience. The advisors I use, I like to have them be in real estate or have real estate experience and an attorney who is a passive investor who's gone the journey, who's became financially free and now is helping other passive investors. That just seems like an advantage to me to have an attorney that has some of that experience. So that's great. I love that he said when he's vetting a sponsor, he needs to spend three hours without a break with them to determine if he wants to invest with them. And that's great. I don't know that that's something I can do because that's a lot of... Uh, travel and finding these sponsors. But man, it's a great thing to, to aspire to and to think about that you want to spend some time. If you're really going to put significant money with a sponsor, you want to sit down and get to know them. And it makes a huge difference. It really does. The personal touch there. Then we, we talked about holding the assets in your own name. And that's an easy one. You should just don't do it. There's no reason to hold assets in your own name. So you need some kind of structure. LLC, I like this parent LLC with the children LLCs through a series LLC. It all sounds very complicated, but it gives you a way to hold assets that aren't in your name. So if something happens, they can't come take your assets from you. I also liked how he talked about balance is impossible. So prioritize. And that makes sense to me, right? I'm trying to always balance, especially with this. It's such a heavy lift or it seems like it's such a heavy lift for me to put all my LLCs and, and redo everything, my estate plan, all that stuff. Spent so much time and money setting it up, but I set it up with multiple different attorneys. I've had three or four work on my estate. I've had several work on my LLCs. And so it's all just a jumble of chaos and balance is impossible. I have to prioritize. So I need to find a professional. And that's the other thing is 
at some point, I found out, I discovered that finding a professional to help me with this stuff is what I needed to do. That's why I hired an accountant. That's why I have a financial advisor to help overlook some of my financial stuff and, and summarize it for me. And that's why now I'm using attorneys when I do private lending. I don't just use somebody else's wording. I find an attorney for it. And so this is the same thing. If you want to build wealth, you can't do it all yourself. It's a team sport. Syndication investing is a team sport. That's why we have this community to help us find the best sponsors, find the best investments, and put our money into them. But we also need coverage on the back end because if something goes wrong, but we've done everything right on picking the best investments, making a ton of money, making a great impact. But if we make one mistake on the legal side, it could all go away. So this is super important. So I'll definitely look more into Royal Legal Solutions and see if they're a right fit for me and move forward from there. That's it for this time. We'll see you next time in the left field. Thanks for hanging out in left field with us today. If you're interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestors.com or you can send me an email, jim at leftfieldinvestors.com. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.